filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome to another edition of Old Man Ben's Music Corner. Ben, take it away. <laughs> so I have many opinions about old music, uh, some of which are about Nickel Creek, which is a very good band, despite uh, Jason and Adam's protestations. And I have no opinion. <laughs> but you're, the fact that you have no opinion is itself I, a bad opinion. Because I haven't listened to them. I haven't been exposed to their music. I've seen pictures of them, and Ben, you agreed the pictures are bad. Yeah, but every picture from everyone in the early 2000s is bad. Everybody had frosted tips in the early 2000s. These weren't frosted tips. This was, like, bad. I did not have frosted tips. I also did not have frosted tips. Put that on the record for the world. I had friends who had frosted tips, so I accept your premise. But this was not bad. I think we can all agree that Adam had bad hair. Yes, that, that much is true. Uh... But this was not a, a picture from the early 2000s. This was, they, I, they looked older than I would have assumed. You know, they, it looked recent-ish, I suppose. And it had bad visual effects on it that made it look like a crappy three-person wedding photo. But that doesn't photo. mean anything to me. It just, it looked like blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean it, like, they have it lots of bad, bad photos. They have a lot of bad photos. It's They're okay. a band. They should yeah. control their image on Google they, better. If they don't want me to judge them on that. That's not a thing. It is absolutely a thing. No, it's not. Google is. Now, Google Uber Alice, and they were on hiatus from like. Ben, I think you just said the opposite of what you meant. Yeah. No, uh, I don't think I did. uh, Ben, if you become a tool of the tech industry, we're going to have a different show uh, than normal uh, in which I'm going to talk about how we need to smash you. No, I'm just saying that Google overrules everything and they'll just pick whatever photos of you that they want okay you were not saying a band should let me go put get my- google overall no i'm saying that whatever you whatever despite whatever your goals are google will just choose whatever they want i mean there's a whole industry about search engine optimization which oh, again jason does, wants to smash Adam, and this band but, should do a better but job. does that but does that, 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 are both that be smashed that, that, industry does, that industry doesn't actually work. Pick a band. Pick a band right now. Any other band. You, you two. Yeah, their pictures don't look... I mean, their pictures look dumb because it's Bono and yeah, Stupid exactly. Glasses. But no, Bono exactly. No, you can't, you can't excuse that. That's no, exactly no. what I was just saying. No, but these are pictures that this band, that, that Bono wants on here. I promise you that. Because he always wears those glasses. So he looks dumb because of those glasses. But he wants... That's the look he wants. If if Nickel Creek wanted the look of bad wedding photographer at a three-person wedding... Um, then, and, Adam, and by Adam, that, Nick, I mean Nickel three Creek, people Nickel getting Creek married. Nickel Creek is our age now. They are, they, are you, they are a youth band. They are a young person band. They were young people. So I cannot blame them. 
Can I just give my quick reason? It's not Adam's reason that I, I am skeptical. It's just that they have a mandolin. That's it. Mandolins are great, and you're wrong. The photos, I, I the photos. Mandolins are great, care. and you're wrong. Ben, would you describe their music as stompy? No, I wouldn't actually. That's weird. Most music nowadays seems stompy to me. Yeah, that, that that's true. But their music isn't ben, stompy. Ben, is that opinion paid before by Google? Did you no that money to, no. to say that? So you don't have to Anyone who thinks that anyone who thinks Nickel Creek is stomp, anyone who thinks Nickel Creek is stompy is wrong. You can have many opinions about Nickel Creek. They're definitely bluegrass, and I love bluegrass, but they are not stompy. They're they are nowhere close to Mumford and Son. Or uh oh fuck, what's that other one? It doesn't stompy. The one that's the Mumford Sons too. Yeah. (laughs) But they're not stompy. You can have many opinions about them, but Yes, I think Lumineers is what I was thinking of. You can have many opinions about Nickel Creek. Stompy is not an acceptable have, opinion. Haven't you been saying the whole time that we can't have many opinions? We we can only have your opinion? <laughs> that's that's what I recall you saying, Ben. You also, it, it, you teased us with a story about skanking. So we're just going to move on to the second part of Old okay. Man Ben's Music Corner. Yes! And uh, for some reason, for some reason, I had a tab open about skanking uh, recently, which is a punk dance that I did back in the early 2000s. Did you really just explain men- skanking? I mean, Adam, <laughs> I feel like most of our listeners don't know what skanking is. I don't know if you're. In your I, 30s, I think you, you need to give know. more, more have more faith in our listeners that they they at least have heard of skanking. Uh, I I don't. I think our listeners are, I feel like skanking was a very certain thing for a very certain time period. And people who are just like one or two years older or one or two two years younger than us or more have no idea what that is. Dude, the ska phenomenon lasted much longer than it should and touched a lot of people over a long period of time. A lot of people know what skanking is. I promise. I don't think that's true. I'm using our Twitter account to find out more. <laughs> All right. While we wait, while we await the results of Jason's scientific investigation, tell us more about your browser tab of skanking. I mean, literally, it's still open. I, I, well, actually, I have two tabs open right now. One is a Google search results, and the other is Wikipedia. Because I know what skanking is, but I wanted to know what uh, Google defined skanking as. So, why did and, you have and, a browser tab and, open about skanking? See, that I don't really remember. But I also wanted to make sure that there was a solid difference between skanking and two-stepping. Which is the punk version of skanking. And, well, I I probably shouldn't say that because I'll probably get in very big trouble from uh, my wife and other people who like punk music. But they're kind of similar kind of dance. But, yeah. All right, Ben, if you manage to find a punk bluegrass ska song to open this show with um i will i will for at least one week not mock your strong opinions on music that is my promise to you i mean i could just have the stroke a bluegrass cover of the strokes i could throw that in there see adam i think you just you just guaranteed that ben is going to start the show with the most mandolin heavy song that he can find yeah but that won't be also seven i don't think is and there no such a thing as punk bluegrass ska? <laughs> M- 
most if it exists, yet, I actually want Ben to find it because I think I'm it would make sure, him really happy. I'm pretty sure Pitchfork has come up with a bad way of referring to it. Uh, <laughs> mandolin is it music. And, well, we can all agree that, man, that we can all agree that Pitchfork sucks. Pitchfork. I, I remember. Should we? When, do, when we're already like seven minutes in. Should we actually have a show about the soccer teams? No. <laughs> I suppose. Before we get into Pitchfork and our opinions on it, which will, will be another 20 minutes probably. <laughs> I mean, it won't because it sucks. That's it. <laughs> I have no opinion. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Old Man Adam Ben's claims, Music Corner podcast. And he has no opinions about lots of things. He is wrong. I am Adam Taylor. Uh, the anger guy over there shouting at his beer is Ben Bromley. Uh, the guy on the, the Twitter is Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and uh, whatever else happens to strike our fancy on a given day. Uh, today, we are talking about all DC United all the time. Uh, United dropped a, a disappointing 2-1 to result against Orlando City this past weekend. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to preview the Black and Reds' upcoming trip to the greater Chicagoland area to face the fire this coming weekend. Before we do anything, though, we have a little game we like to play here called What Are You Drinking? And Ben, I'll call on you first. What are you drinking? So, I recently restocked my liquor cabinet, and so I am drinking a drink that is a favorite of my wife, and I like it too. It is uh, caramel vodka, uh, coffee liqueur and whole milk slash cream. And it's, just, it's basically a white Russian, but it feels just a little richer. That's all. Who makes this okay. caramel vodka? What? Who makes this caramel vodka? Smirnoff. Oh, I didn't know they even made... I guess you have to get in the... Uh, once once they started getting weird, everyone had to compete. Is this that yeah. situation? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I assume so. Yeah, Ben, do you I, have? I assume, I assume Pinnacle has a similar kind of vodka oh, too. I feel like and every Scully. flavor that exists uh, for humanity, uh, Pinnacle has made a vodka flavor of. Oh. I know there's cotton candy vodka out there. Oh, that exists. I seen it. Graham cracker. I saw that one. Mm. Graham cracker. I saw it. I wonder if there's just a flavored vodka that claims to be corn flavored or whatever the base. Uh, spirit or the the base grain for potato. the spirit potato or or corn or sugarcane or beets you know vodka can come from anything that's the point is it's just whatever you have distilled to death and then diluted with water um but it's like uh doritos has a corn flavor which is just artificial corn flavor on a corn chip uh jason what are you drinking uh i was thinking about going and getting beer, but I didn't have time. So instead, uh, I threw the last of my uh, Technico Blanco tequila in with some lime juice and topped that off with some ginger beer for a, a, a burro or a Mexican mule or a tequila, lime juice, and ginger beer. Nice. Uh, I, I was also rushing, not that you could tell from the, the beginning of this show. I was rushing to um, finish outlining what we're going to talk about during the actual body of the show and uh, didn't have time to mix a drink. So I just grabbed something I think I had on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, some four roses, single barrel, hundred proof 
bourbon whiskey that my father-in-law gave me. Um, it's, it's tasty. Uh, shall we get to it? Sure. Ben, I expected you to say no. I really did. Why? Why? Because that's what you were doing earlier, like in this very episode. Right. But I had opinions about stuff earlier and now I'm ready to get into the show. Well, fine. Don't carry the bit forward. See if I care. See if I care, Ben. I don't have an opinion on it. Ha. I don't believe you. Well, on Saturday, it all started well enough, but DC United got burned by a couple bad, bad, very bad, no good, terrible, awful defensive mistakes and uh, lost for the first time, I think, for the first time since that epic deadline day flurry of activity that brought in the likes of Paul Ariola, Russell Knauss, Zoltan Stieber, uh, and Bruno Miranda. Uh, Kofi Opari pulled one back, but United were unable to turn a late flurry of pressure into an equalizer. And I, I know the the guy who the, the common denominator across both goals for me was Sean Franklin. He inexplicably flicked the, <sighs> the ball on for the first goal. Granted, there was still a lot of work for uh, Orlando to do to score and for DC United to do to not prevent that goal. But the second goal was, you almost feel bad for Franklin. Uh, the ball deflects a little bit in the box, and he reacts to try to stop it from going through to somebody on the back post. Instead, he just traps it for Giles Barnes to smash completely unmarked in the center of the goal um, into it. Sean Franklin did not have a good day. Well, I will say this. I'm I'm less upset with the first goal because you can watch – if, if you're the kind of person, I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast, but if you're the kind of person that only watches Europe's six or seven best teams uh, and you don't watch anyone else play, you still see people misjudge a ball and and have it touch them head or foot or whatever in a less than perfect way where it doesn't do exactly what they wanted to do. Um, it's a mistake, but it's not like an unthinkable mistake. The, uh, so Franklin's header on the first goal isn't really what bothers me. What bothers me is what goes on after the cross comes in. Um, and that's actually a spot that I've been worried about for a little while now is the, I, I, I want to go back and, and if I had time, I would go back and look at these last four games and see where the chances are coming for, from four other teams. But I feel like a lot of times that channel between Kofi Opare and Nick DeLeon has been the weak point. Um, and that's where Laren's run is that he's between those two uh, when he scores the goal um, right, and, and Opari is watching the ball and drifting know, towards the near post, and, right. and Nick DeLeon is stuck trying to right. mark two guys. Right, because Franklin steps up to make the header, so all of a sudden when it gets behind him, you have Burnbaum having to peel out wide to contest the cross, and Opare and DeLeon, between the two of them, they don't quite sort it out in time, and that's where the run is. Um, that, to me, that that's a an issue that we've... we've. I mean, Ben and I talked about this, I, I don't know if it made the show or not a couple weeks ago, but... Um, about De Leon having not the best game. I think it was at Colorado where he was yep. getting beaten off off it, basically his shoulder, anything off of his shoulder um, runs coming off of his shoulder. He just didn't, he wasn't picking them up. Um, and I think now it's becoming more of a, between the two of them, there's not quite the communication level, the awareness level that needs to be there. Um, so that, yeah, for the first goal, I'm more concerned with that than Franklin. The second goal, however, is just a whopping colossal mistake that is just beyond, uh, you know, you just, you can't do that. Um, 
when the ball comes in like that and and another player from the other team is lurking, you've got to either attack the ball and head it back from where it came or chest it out of bounds or uh, fake like you're going to head it and then duck under it so it just runs long. Because I think if he had done that, if he had just gotten out of the way or fallen down even, it just would have gone out of bounds. There wasn't anyone else there to do anything about it. And instead, he trapped it with his thigh. I do want to say on the first on the first one, it it's not that Franklin's header didn't do exactly what he wanted it to do. It's that it did exactly the opposite of what he wanted to do. Yeah, but he, the space between had, those two things is very. It's we're talking about a matter of like an inch or two. On oh, it's definitely head. a matter of. Yeah. You're absolutely right on that, but this is also what he gets paid to do, and it was a mistake sure. that oh, yeah, did I'm not it's not lead a to a chance. It's not anywhere near it's not anywhere near the same level of mistake as the second goal right yeah but that's also an impossible bar because the second mistake was <laughs> a doozy yeah uh they obviously like i said there was more work to be done on on that first goal but the the cross came from from franklin's mistake and unfortunately the cascade went from there and you're right it did expose the the gap between Opare and Nick DeLeon. Uh, and I'm honestly not sure which one of them, or if it's just the, the communication issue um, should, should bear more of uh, a, a share of the blame because Opare doesn't pick up a runner. He, he starts marking space, which I don't know if that's the right thing to do in that situation when you're already running towards your own goal. And DeLeon left with two men to mark ends up, unable to choose between them, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do. But when Opari doesn't mark the first runner and De Leon can't get in front of Laren because of where he is, what should he do? And so I think, especially if you're Opari and you know that your left back is new to that position as De Leon is, I, 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 I'm, like I said, I don't know where to put the blame. There's a lot that went wrong on that that particular play. Uh, we, we've been talking about the center backs a little bit, uh, at least Kofi Opari. Steve Birnbaum came back into the lineup in this game, meaning Jalen Robinson was pushed to the bench. Robinson was uh, in, in the lineup for these three shutouts that United posted heading into this game. And he wasn't in this lineup, and they shipped a couple of goals. Granted, neither center back was obviously fully responsible for for either goal, but and and cor- correlation does not mean causation. But is there an argument to be made that no Jalen, no party? Yes, I mean, I, th- I think at this point. You have to experiment with Jalen. You have to let him have a chance to prove what he can do uh, on the field. And we know what Kofi Apari can do. We know what Steve Birnbaum can do. We know Steve Birnbaum has been a lot worse this year than he normally has been. So there's an argument to be made that uh, he should try and figure it out. But at this point... Jalen Robinson should also be given that chance. So I think he needs an extended run out. And if it's with Steve Birnbaum, uh, who he hasn't had that much time with, then all the better. You can figure that out. Uh, You need to be figuring out what 
the team is going to do in the offseason. And if they need to spend basically TAM or DP money on a center back, which is likely, but to make sure you have to give uh, Jalen Robinson that opportunity. Uh, and, and I'll throw in the fact that if it's not going to be at center back, if it's still the situation where he only gets trusted in emergencies for whatever reason, I don't know what else has to be done for Jalen Robinson to get um, to at least be third choice going forward. Um, but Sean Franklin got, he got a yellow card. He's suspended this weekend. Um, we know we've talked about it on the show a bunch of times that Robinson is a better center back than he's a right back. But um to a certain extent, you've just got to reward the players that are getting the job done. Um, and if that means playing him out of position but giving him a start, then maybe that's what needs to be done. Um, it, but it's it's definitely – it's an interesting phenomenon because this time I don't think it, – it's it, before there was a stretch where it was like, well, um, the other center backs haven't really been playing well, so I don't really mind. Um, and, and I was curious – I wasn't that – surprised to see Robinson get dropped because we've had this we've have an established pattern now um but at the same time you know we're looking at this 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 pattern keeps coming up where United doesn't do badly defensively when Jalen Robinson plays um and then in this game they did their goals are both on defensive mistakes so um I think it's awfully difficult to argue against him being on the field somewhere um you know, we've seen him play uh, a couple different positions, but it's always sporadic, and then he goes back. I mean, even his time with the kickers this year has been at right back rather than center back. Um, but, you know, somewhere along the line, you've got to say, like, this team plays better with this player on the field for whatever reason. Um, and if even if you can't necessarily explain it, if they're in the film room and they're like, I can't hammer down why they don't give up goals, but they don't... Um, at a certain point, you've got to stop arguing with uh, the why and just say, like, okay, I accept that this team is better with him on the field, and I'm going to find a yeah. way to put him on the field. And hopefully we'll see that going forward. We'll talk about that a little bit more later in the segment. Um, another position of concern for, for DC United, as it has been all year, is up top, the forwards. Deshaun Brown uh, subbed in for Patrick Mullins in this game. Mullins had his chances should have scored at least one um, managed one really good shot on frame that, that got saved and managed to turn a really good one-on-one chance into a uh, shot into the stands and otherwise just wasn't able to, to take his chances, which has been the story of his life since he came back from injury uh, this summer. So then Deshaun Brown comes on and, is mostly invisible except for getting the assist on Opari's goal. Um, Jason, what is going on up top? And is there any chance either of these guys cements a claim to, to the starting role that will not necessitate spending a lot of money on a striker this winter? Uh, I mean, for Mullins, it's just confidence. Um, We know from last year what his ceiling is. I think we, we saw last year that, um, was eight goals and 14 appearances, eight goals and two assists in 14 appearances. He was uh, playing out of his mind. Um, But I think now we also know where his floor is. And um, right now, I mean, he's putting in the hard work defensively. He's battling for balls. He's winning headers and all that stuff. But uh, 
when he gets a chance in front of goal, it just seems like they're not they're not going in. Um, be it bad luck or bad finishing, you know the the um, the last chance. It was actually his last play of the game because he he missed the one on one from an angle. Um, he tried to curl it around Joe Bendick and just went above the corner of the goal by a solid couple yards. Um, and then he was immediately substituted, um, which probably doesn't help his confidence at all. Uh, right. The sub was already up yeah, before yeah, it's that. Not like Olsen, it, it's not like Olsen said, that's enough. Uh, I'm making a move. He, Deshaun Brown was waiting to come in. Um, but yeah, I think if he's confident, that's a goal. Um, but I think there's been a bunch of those, uh, where if he has his normal level of confidence, he's scoring goals left and right. Um, but I think right now his confidence is shot to the point that um, it almost seems like he could just use, like, that, like we had the two-week break for the international window. It seems like he could use, like, another two weeks of just, uh, you know, get away from soccer for a little bit and come back relaxed. Um, because he seems like someone who's just extremely tense when he gets on the ball. Even when he got on the ball for the, the breakaway, his... his uh, his touch wasn't the cleanest. He ends up at an angle, um, and I think if he's a little more confident, he's not at that angle. He he takes his first touch, maybe going to goal a little bit more. Um, with Brown, I think he's just been erratic. I think his confidence is a little low too now. Um, I think the way he started was pretty decent, uh, but since then, um, he's not using his speed necessarily to stretch defenses enough, in my opinion. I'd like to see more of that. Um, I'd also like to see the team looking for that more often, giving him the opportunity, because it's a little bit of a, a two-way street there. It's not just that he's not making the run. It's also no one's giving him the ball to run after. Um, but yeah, he, he just seems to be struggling to figure out how to play off of the rest of the midfield, which has changed a bunch since he arrived, which, remember, he only arrived a little while ago. Um, yeah, he's struggling with, with that. He's struggling to get the service that he thrives on. And he doesn't have that physicality that I think DC United as a whole has been used to from from Mullins especially. Um, Brown's not that kind of guy. He's not winning those battles or, or uh, duking it out with center backs all the time. That's not really his game. Um, I think I still think that he's pro- Brown is probably better off as a as a wide forward rather than as a center forward. Um, but obviously, right now. Uh, you're not going to drop uh, Paul Ariola or, or Zoltan Stieber, so uh, he's got to get it done as a center forward. And um, he just he just seems to be struggling with a lot of the, the refined stuff at the end. It's not necessarily the approach play. It's just what happens when you get in the attacking third. The space gets really small. Um, what do you do at that point? And he's just not quite, you know, his first touch seems to be off. His passes seem to be off. Um, he doesn't seem necessarily aware of where people are going to be when when that moment comes where he's got to move the ball. Um, it's all just a little off for Brown, um, and you know that's not going to help his confidence. So we might end up with a situation where both strikers are bottoming out confidence wise. But for, with Mullins, I think it really is like, I mean, if if this coming week against Chicago, if someone takes a shot that skips off of his shoulder or or his foot on the way in, and he gets to claim a goal then I think he's going to be significantly improved immediately. I think he really does just need that classic. Once he gets one, he'll be back. He'll feel like, you know, his whole world is back to normal right now. It just, they won't go in for anything for him. I was going to say, I've never seen someone more in need of a Frank Lampard style, butt goal. Yeah. I mean, and and 
Someone should be maybe the other team. If United's in a position where they can just afford to, uh, I mean, against Chicago is probably not likely, but if they're in a position where they can just afford to try and set him up for a goal, they should probably just like take a shot that might skip off of him um, and let him have it. All right, guys, new strategy. Instead of shooting at goal, shoot at Mullins. <laughs> just try and hit just, him. Yeah. Mullins, just stand on the penalty shot. Everyone, shoot if, at him. If any of our listeners ever played the training game World Cup, which your coaches probably hated because World Cup is a game in which um, someone either lobs or takes a corner kick uh, of a ball into the box and everyone is trying to score it. No one's trying to defend except for your poor goalkeeper. Um, and the object is just, if you score, you get to advance to the next round and the game goes on until it's one-on-one. And then that team, the the final scorer wins. Um, Patrick Mullins right now, I mean, if he was playing a game of world cup, the ball would hit him and then hit somebody else and then go in. And that person would get to claim the goal and, and advance. And he'd probably have five of them and then end up getting eliminated. Um, but yeah, your coaches would hate world cup because it's not really a useful game at all. Uh, you don't learn anything from it. It's just fun. The other thing I was thinking of, um, it, that you can do when you're a confident striker, even when nothing else is working. I remember Chicharito's first, his first goal for Manchester United came during their tour in the U S and I, I happen to be watching it and someone, he, he gets the ball on a platter right in front of the goal and manages to fall down while kicking it in such a way that he kicks the ball into his own face and then it goes into the net. That it was that would that's pretty much it, what he needs right now. Yeah, and it's like if you're gonna score, that's what you need. But I I don't know if Chicharito could have done that if he didn't just believe that whatever he did would would score. Um because there's no reason that should have worked. Uh except that Chicharito does those things. Um no matter who he plays for, seemingly. Uh, going back to this DC Orlando game, Jason, did Orlando do anything right to keep United from, uh, from scoring and to, you know, force these mistakes? Uh, they didn't do too much that was especially notable. I mean, they really weren't very good on the ball. Their passing accuracy was 61%, which I'm pretty sure is the lowest we've seen from any opponent DC's played this season. Um, so they're very direct, um, playing out of their diamond, um, I think maybe it's just the different look um, is a little bit of the factor with the um, the, the fact that uh, Barnes is playing up as the 10 and then you've got three guys underneath him. It's a little bit of a different uh, angle to deal with in the midfield. United hasn't seen that. I don't I don't recall them playing against a, a true diamond like this all season. So um, that part is a little unfamiliar. Um, but I think part of it was just that, uh, you know, United started the game fairly well and then it, they didn't capitalize and then they made the game's first mistake and it becomes a goal. Um, and from there they just sort of drifted to halftime. They gave up the second goal on a much worse mistake and they didn't really do very much, uh, for a while there. Um, it was really the, the first half was, was pretty poor. I think it was a lot more about DC United just playing poorly for a long time. Um, and losing, losing their way in the game. You know, the, the fact that the goals came the way they did, um, I think Orlando needed a boost. They had been on a pretty long run of uh, bad form. I think they were, what, winless in eight uh, coming into that one. So they needed a lucky break. Um, and uh, United gave it to them. And from there, Orlando felt better about themselves. They stayed organized. Um, they were, But still, they, they didn't really do very much. They, it really wasn't... It wasn't all around a very good game of soccer, uh, if we're being honest. No, it... Uh, 
It well, Orlando got their goals Some... through mistakes and then just sort of sat in and, and hoped for the best. And United wasn't sharp enough and enough in enough spots to finish them off. Um, yeah, United did have their chances. Yeah, and I think uh, besides, goes... besides Mullins, I know Areola missed uh, an open net on a, a yeah, header. Well, he it was that... contested. It wasn't an automatic goal. But yeah, on that header, he, uh, his legs he got taken out by Donny Toya, which is why he ended up sort of flying through the air rather than powering into the ball. Right. Um, but yeah, I you know I, I don't want to blame a five foot six winger. Um, not being able no. to execute on a header um, too much, but it, it just all around, I guess that kind of, that play kind of summed up the game where um, Toya did just enough in that moment to prevent there being a goal. Um, there was a little bit of that element, uh, Orlando doing just barely enough to, uh, to make sure that they didn't get scored on. And I think there, there was a little bit of when, when DC has been poor, uh, but they've managed to scrape out a win, this is kind of like what it's like to be on the other side of that, where they didn't do a lot right, uh, but in the moments that really mattered, they didn't make the big mistake, which United made two of, and they did just barely enough to get out of danger. Um, whether it's, you know, Toya getting a shoulder into Ariel's legs while he jumps, or uh, Joe Bendick made a pretty good save on Sean Franklin uh, at one point, a, a, a save where he had to read Franklin's intentions really well, um, and he did that... Uh, just a lot of little things that that the little details at that last moment that they they got right um, that DC didn't. Uh, but I think in this game is much more about what DC didn't do than it is about what Orlando did do. So let's let's turn our eyes forward uh, for this last bit of this segment before we we take a break and talk about the Chicago Fire. I think we had all accepted the math. And the fact that DC United were almost certainly not going to the playoffs and with these three points gone away, um, there's, there's now effectively no route to the playoffs for DC United. And I, I think even Ben Olsen will, will probably have to accept that and start looking forward to 2018. And when, when he does that, just to put it, it, do you expect, no, you go ahead. Just I'm to put it into numbers, it DC's maximum points uh, are they, they can get to 46 points, and Atlanta is in sixth place with 39 and three games in hand on DC. So if they just win those yep. games in hand, and the Red Bulls and Columbus, Columbus wins one game, we can't catch them. Uh, if Chicago gets a draw this weekend uh, against DC, then that's a lost <clears> cause. Um, if the Red Bulls win two more games all season, they've got seven to go. Um, yeah, so it, none of the teams in the East have to do very well to get across that 46-point threshold to mathematically eliminate United. Right, the hole's just too deep at this point. So, Ben Olsen, for whatever reason, wasn't willing to publicly accept that. And, you know, he wanted to win out. And and I, I don't really blame him for that. Because the possibility was still there even if it was just so you're saying there's a chance the possibility was still there now it's not for all intents and purposes so do you expect and do you want to see lineup changes from ben olsen going forward well those are two different things i think we can talk about multiple things at one time we've we've done it before all right so Ben, I, 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 i know i know we all want there to be lineup changes yes. and we'll talk about yes. what those specifically should be 
And then we'll we'll talk about whether we think Ben Olsen will actually do it. So let's let's start at the back center back. We talked about Jalen Robinson earlier. I know Ben, you want to see Jalen on the field. Who do you want to yes. see him with? Do you want to see him next to Steve Birnbaum or Kofi Opari? Birnbaum, because I think Birnbaum is definitely going to have a place in this team. Obviously, uh, going into next year, so I want to see what Jalen can. Do. We we've seen for the past couple of weeks, what Jalen can do with uh, Kofi Apare. So now I want to see for a couple of weeks, what he can do with uh, Steve Birnbaum. I I agree with that. Honestly, fullback. Um, do you want to see Sean Franklin on the field ever again? No, 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 never. I mean, I'm not going to go to the, I would, I would rather see, I mean, I, I would rather see, uh, I would prefer to see Chris Dewey Atsum. I would rather see Chris Korb, um, at least for the balance of this season. And we can, we can debate later whether or not, uh, Sean Franklin has use next year. I, I think, uh, probably yes, he does. But for the balance of this season, I don't think he has any purpose. So I'd rather see Dewey Atsum and, Corb and anybody else they might think of for for that position. I I'm going to come down um pretty firmly on the side that Odo Atchum needs to get the starts at right back uh, from here on out. Um, yeah. We yeah. know what Corb can do, uh, and this season since his comeback, he has been basically Chris Corb, um, which is good, but it's not like this is a guy that has to be in the starting lineup. Good. Um, He's, he's he's basically under the standard. If we go back to our our our, our previous previous discussions, yeah, he I, he's got a place on the team. But right now, I don't see he's not going to be a better player for getting these games. Whereas guys like Robinson and Odoyachem are going to be better players for playing these games. Um, and I'll throw in one more this weekend with Franklin being suspended. Uh, the only player on DC United that has the speed to have any real chance of keeping up with David Akam is Chris Odoyachim. So he almost has to start this game for tactical reasons, not just for um, the the thought of uh, who deserves the minutes. Um, but yeah, if if for whatever reason he's not thought of as getting those minutes, he didn't make the bench this past weekend, then give him to Robinson and see if, if he can prove to be uh, MLS caliber at right back as well. Uh, you know, let's expand his portfolio and reward him for good play. Um, but yeah, the, those those two I think need to be getting more minutes from here on out because I, I don't expect we're going to get there yet. Um, I think until this team is mathematically eliminated, we're not going to see um, that sort of thing. And Olsen does have one. There is one other reason to field his best 11 um in his mind and it's because that gives Ariola, Acosta and Stieber more time to build their understanding with the rest of that group around them um so there there is that but at the same time um you have to balance that need with the fact that you've got guys that have a handful of professional games to 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 their name um, those guys need to play more minutes or they're, you're never going to find out how good they actually are. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Odoy Achim needs to start this weekend. Um, and I think him or Robinson need to be looked at going forward at right back. Um, if you're not going to play Robinson at center back, um, 
the, that needs to be looked at. Um, I mean, hopefully, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of stepping into the other positions, but uh, I'll, I'll give it back to you, Adam, before I go on. <laughs> yeah, the next position is central midfield, where Marcelo got the start this weekend um, <sighs> for reasons, I think, that, that baffled a lot of us in the stands and at home. Um, I know I wanted Ian Harks to come back into the 11 and to see him um, and in that in the revamped midfield was something I really wanted to happen. And obviously it didn't. Um, And this is, I think the, since he's come back from, from injury, he's been an unused sub either every time or every time, but once uh, since returning from injury. And that's, that's not great. He, he had an outside argument, outside chance at, at a rookie of the year kind of uh, bid going and, has been on the bench for, for the last several games. And I don't fully understand why I think, I think the argument is that Marcelo gives you a little bit more, more bite and at least the attitude no. Ben Olsen no. wants on the field, but he's also losing every tackle he goes into and giving the ball away in bad spots and doing things that he, even if he brings good intangibles, he's hurting the team in tangible ways on the field. Um, and and that's that's not great. And he's also probably at a point where he's more likely to be an assistant coach on this team than a midfielder for this team next year. So uh, I, I want to say thank you, Marcelo, and good luck rather than seeing him on the field again this year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it it just can't happen anymore. It's just not a sustainable role going forward. And... He's this team isn't in a position where he's able to start, so it has to be Ian Harks. And if Ian Harks can't go for the whole ninety minutes, that's fine. But there's no reason to not sub out Marcelo after sixty sixty five minutes and put Ian Harks in. Uh, and at, I would rather just see um, Jared Jeffrey play at this point, because at least Jared Jeffrey is younger and has a chance of getting better where we know what Marcelo is going to do. And it, it's obvious that Ben Olsen still thinks that they have a shot because otherwise there's no other reason for playing Marcelo. So hopefully Ian Harks gets the start next week and is allowed to just play out the rest of the season now that he's healthy. Well, I mean, to go back to this, I I don't know necessarily that um we can say that uh because i feel like it's established that if Which it, that harks is actually healthy um no okay yeah that, that's be, because if he's healthy we know that that olsen has started him over marcelo all season whenever um once harks broke into the lineup um it was not really a question uh as to who was the eight um and i i i suspect that maybe we were thinking he was capable of more minutes when he first appeared on the bench after his ankle sprain. Maybe at that time he was he was capable of playing like five minutes, whereas we might have been thinking of it as 20. And so in this game, maybe he only yeah. had 20, 15 to 20 minutes, and maybe um, we were sitting there thinking like he should – I mean, I went into the weekend thinking that this was probably enough time for him to be fit enough to start. Um and maybe that isn't the case. Maybe this ankle injury was worse than we thought. Because all we know is it's an ankle sprain. We don't know much about the severity of it. Um, 
even at this point, though, I'd rather like if if Harks can't start, I'd rather Nick DeLeon start in the middle and Adoy Atsum start a, at fullback, and just there's no point in starting Marcelo if you have any other option. And at this point, like if you if you accept that DC United can't make the playoffs, which everybody but seemingly Ben Olsen has accepted, you have other options. So why not go with them? Why not? Go with Adoyachim on the at fullback, fullback. Somebody else in the middle. It doesn't really matter. It, somebody's gonna be better than not better, but somebody's gonna be different and more interesting than uh, than Marcelo Sarvas. And why not just go? I, with I will throw out some numbers uh, from this game now that I'm bringing them up. Uh, Marcelo uh, completed over 81 percent of his passes in this game. Uh, he won six fouls. He was the most fouled player in the entire game on either team. He t- or he tied with um, Yoshimaru Yotun, who I I thought was really good. Uh, just as a side note, I was very impressed seeing him in, in person. Um, he won four of the five tackles he went in for, uh, four interceptions, ten recoveries, two two successful uh, crosses. Um, so you know, while I do think. If, if Harks is fit, then yes, he needs to play, and if not, it probably should be Jeffrey. I will say that it appears right now, at least, that there's a case you can make that, that the issue might be that Marcelo is winning these minutes over Jeffrey. Um, and if... It, but, but, for, but, but for what point? Well, what is well in the last two games... If we, if we can't make the playoffs, what's the point? Well, in this last game, we came into the game... Uh, DC United entered that game looking at the possibility of still making the playoffs. And we already talked about, like, Olsen's going to keep going for it until they're mathematically eliminated. I think that's a an uncontroversial statement. Um, it's, an un- it's, un- it's uncontroversial that Ben Olsen does do that. I just disagree with him. But in, in that case, if that's what's going on, then it's... I guess the yeah. angle I'm taking on this is if Marcelo is – if Harks can't play, if he's not 100% fit enough to start, and Marcelo is winning these minutes over Jared Jeffrey, what does that say about Jared Jeffrey right now? Um, if a guy that Fair we so. have to anticipate is in danger of not being on the team next year is winning these starts and getting to stay in for 90 minutes um, – so yeah, yeah I, I I guess I I do have to push back a little against the idea that Marcelo was bad in this game, which isn't necessarily what you guys said. It's just an idea that was out there. Um, right, he's been bad in a lot yes, of recent games, um, but not game, not. This I game thought he particular. actually was okay, but you know, looking forward, he's the oldest player on the team, and it's a spot where United has other players that can play there. Um, as Ben pointed out, like Nick DeLeon could step out of fullback if, if need be, um, just so we can learn something else about what the guys on the team are capable of. Um, but personally, I'm I'm hoping that Harks it just needed one more week. Um, it will be interesting, though, to watch yeah. um, come this weekend, because I think even, even if Marcelo, you know, had, you know, by the team's metrics, if they say that he played very well in this game, you still have to look at the point total and realize, like, uh, it's not really going to happen, so... Do we really need to spend time on a guy that's? I mean, he Marcelo is older than I am, um, which is now my yardstick for whether whether you're older <laughs> or not, is older than me. Um, 
It's no longer whether you're in your prime or yes. not. It's now, are you too old to play soccer right. at a high um, level? So over an extent, yeah. and obviously, it, you know, even Marcelo can play at a high level for, for one or two games here and there, but he's shown this year. He can't keep it up for a, a right. full, full campaign. Yeah. Uh, that's all I've got for, for you guys this segment. I, I guess we can talk about the forwards again, but we right. kind of already. Also, already there are that. only two. So, we 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 yeah. need a new forward. Yes, yes. yes. What, e- even if Mullins goes on another uh, tear to close out the season, or Deshaun Brown suddenly figures it out, um, it, I think we all will want to see, and we'll talk about this more in the off season. We'll all want to it, see it another nice if, acquisition or two in that. It would be nice place. if Bruno Miranda uh, can actually play some part. I, he posted a photo today of. A tr- him training on Instagram. I don't know if it was a photo from today, um, but you know, it's, it's a something. Um, and if he's healthy enough to start getting, getting minutes, then, you know, now that the math is starting to make it obvious that the team isn't going to get in the playoffs, then maybe he gets a shot as a forward, not just as a winger, because, you know, in this last game, United entered the game, the subs bench uh, for attackers was Brown and Sam. And after that, like, Harks is the next most attack-minded player on the bench. Um, you need more attackers than that. So if he gets healthy uh, enough to, to play 10, 15 minutes, then maybe he's on the traveling party because this team doesn't have forwards, and he is a forward. And on that little bit of, I guess, just fact-dropping, it's not even truth-dropping, it's just facts. He is a forward, and this team doesn't have many of those. Um we're going to call this a segment, and we'll be right back to talk about the United's trip to Illinois this weekend. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The Chicago cast. Really, Ben? You I'm don't sorry. even understand the joke. No, no. And uh, yeah, I, I, and I was the, trying to I'm, get. And I'm the one who didn't want to derail this, and then I went straight for the derailing. During the break, we were talking about the smockin' 
the the event that is smock and tweet and how many how how much of an event it actually is on Twitter. Um, this guy has fifty four and a half thousand it. followers. I tried to explain it to you guys, and it it did not work. The explanation did not give you any understanding as to why I would think it was funny. Um, and I realized that it's not your fault that you didn't understand. It. This is a thing that cannot be explained. And and so I'm I'm experiencing it during the break and ben says we have to hurry up and get going because we need to finish recording this show and then who goes and interrupts my that was me my intro to the segment none other than ben nickel creek bromley yep what are you doing that's that that's not good radio i was tapping my pen yeah that's not good radio i don't think coming in and interrupting me with you know, smocking cast was good radio either. So I'm just going to own mine. At least it was radio. What? Radio? Are we on the radio? I don't think we are on the radio. Anyway. We basically are. <laughs> anyway, if you think way back to this spring, the Chicago Fire were on top of the Eastern Conference and looking like geniuses. For, for their various moves over the winter. Uh, fast forward to now, and they've fallen to earth a little bit. They're on 45 points now, third in the East, 15 points out of first place, and five points behind second place, NYCFC. Uh, they lost four in a row to close out the month of August. They've righted the ship a little bit these last couple weeks, um, winning two or winning one and drawing one. But uh, they... they aren't necessarily the the same team that was uh look, looked like the most improved team and possibly the best team in the east um earlier in the year whatever they are they will host dc united this saturday night out there in bridgeview illinois 8 30 on news channel 8 and mls live um i i want to talk about dax mccarty off the top because that that's still, even though they signed uh, a very, very big name designated player, I feel like that Dax McCarty transfer is the still what kind of defines this team. And somehow what was just a, a record-breaking transfer when it happened within the league, it was $400,000 of combined GAM and TAM over two years. And at the time, that was unthinkably large amounts of, of Garber Bucks. And now it looks like a downright bargain for Dax McCarty. Hell yeah, four hundred thousand dollars split over two years. I would take that in a heartbeat. It's it's kind of funny, and maybe maybe the front office in Chicago figured it out before everyone else. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's interesting because not only has it shored up a position that Chicago sort of needed to address. I mean, they did have Juninho before that. Um, but also, it. I mean, it ended up forcing the Red Bulls into a formation change. Um, they had to abandon the four-two-three-one after it, it sort of worked, and then it stopped really even working. And they've had to play um, out of a different formation since then. So um, it destabilized a team in in their conference. It also obviously has made a big boost for Chicago. So. Um, Four hundred thousand uh, to make that happen is not a bad. It's not a bad business at all. Um, and and I've I know I've mocked um, Nelson Rodriguez and Velko Panovic for their moves last year um, and this year. 
Um, but this one turned out to be exactly what they needed. And, ex- uh, you know, if that's the, if that's the cost, um, to both boost your team tremendously and also, uh, screw things up for an in, in conference rival, then yeah, you should pay that every time, especially now that teams are getting more allocation money almost on a daily basis. It seems like, yeah, they, it, I think they gambled that there would be more Tam coming into the system, um, even more than was already announced and they won that gamble and Dax McCarty has made them a much better team uh, and really helped them change the culture in Chicago because this was a moribund franchise. Um, They, they couldn't win no matter who was coaching, no matter what style of playing they were going to be in the bottom two in the Eastern conference. And this year they aren't that, that said they, they did have a little swoon at the end of August. Like I said, losing four straight games Jason, what was working so well for them before that that stopped working during the month of August? Well, for a while there, um, they were able to get on the front foot um, on every single team they played. Um, and it's actually, it's it gets worse than four games because they did beat the Revs uh, before that streak. But then before that, it was two more yeah. losses and a draw. Um, yeah. So they went eight games where they won once. Um and what they were really they, – they were doing well is they were putting teams on the back foot and making games easy for themselves. Um, they were taking charge sort of like um, if, if – I mean the last time D.C. and Chicago met was way back in May. But if you remember how that game went, Chicago – they only won one nothing, but that could have been a blowout. Um, personally, I don't think any team has outplayed D.C. more than Chicago did on that day. Um, and that, that, that was them at their peak. Um, they were in the middle of a one four game winning streak and they had a draw and then they won four more after that. Um, so they were obviously on a high, um, but they were really good at possessing the ball, dictating the terms, getting the play, their style of play, um, and, you know, finishing off their chances with, uh, Nikolic. Um, since then, it's not the goals. Um, they are scoring still the, throughout this losing streak. They've managed to mostly, you know, I think they've only been shut out twice, but, it really gets into what they've been conceding. They gave up two in Portland, two against NYCFC, three uh, to uh, the Sporks. They gave up a goal against the Revs, three against Columbus, against Montreal, against TFC. They get three in a row, three games in a row where they gave up three goals and lost every time. They gave up two against Minnesota uh, and lost to them at home. Um, so it really has become a defensive issue for them. They, they got back to basics, I think, in their last two games. Um, their game against the Red Bulls, I thought was not very, it wasn't a very good game from either team. I thought they both played down a little bit. Um, but it's important to note that Chicago kept the Red Bulls to five shot attempts for the entire 90 minutes. Um, and I think they're, you know, they've, they've got to find their feet a little bit. And that's what they're trying to do right now is, uh, just get back to keeping zeros, uh, at one end and then seeing what they can do from there. Um, and, and I think that makes a big difference for them because early in the season, I think they, they got a few good results early and they started to believe in themselves and Schweinsteiger showed up and was, was fully fit and, and engaged and all that. And he's still engaged, but I think, you know, last week he tweeted out that he wasn't going to be playing against the Red Bulls because he needed to take a break. And I'm assuming that was a team decision. They were saying, you know, fitness wise for the playoff run, we need to keep you fresh. Um, but when you take him out of the lineup, you end up with Juninho and McCarty are a little redundant as a midfield pairing. Um, and on top of that, they don't really have a lot of depth. Um, so I think maybe they they 
they might have run a, a little bit of their attack uh, into the ground a little bit just from having them play over the same guys playing over and over again. There's no rotation there. Um, Arturo Alvarez, who was good last year, hasn't really contributed much at all. I, I feel like he's got under 500 minutes on the season. Um, and they, they just don't have a lot of guys they can rotate in. I mean, they gave David Arshaki a, a cameo uh, against the Red Bulls, but if you ask the folks at Hot Time at Old Time about David Arshaki, they don't even want to talk about him being on the team. <laughs> um, uh, they, there's the suspicion that he might not be familiar with the game of soccer. Um, so yeah, Alvarez has played 600 minutes, and he's by far their their most common depth piece off the bench, and he's only got 600 minutes, and we're in mid-September. Um so I think they ran out of gas a little bit. Um, they just pushed their... They've got a thin roster, and they pushed it a little too hard. Um, and it took them a little while to regain that confidence. I think this is still a team that is very... They're going to be streaky as long as they've got so many young players and new players. It, it becomes very much about confidence for them. And, and I will say, I don't know that Paunovic is necessarily the the sharpest manager to see these problems and correct them quickly. Um it took him, you know, we're talking about one win in eight games. It took him that long to get his team back to looking to def- win games via their defense first. Um, and they kind of, I, I think they're better uh, when they play front foot soccer. They're definitely a team built to play that way. But at the same time, right now, they need to they need to show that they can defend to really live up to whatever their, their hopes are because... Otherwise, you know, you take them out of the equation and the playoffs start to look like Toronto FC's march to hosting MLS Cup again. Everyone loves a good turnaround story, especially at the end of the year when when voting for awards comes out. And so this is the question that I ask just to troll Jason, because I know he doesn't love Poundovich as a coach and has uh, said as much many, many times, both here and, and elsewhere. So... Where does Panovich end up in the coach of the year voting this year? Because you know he's going to get some votes, even if it's not a first place vote. I think, for the record, I think Vanny wins in a walk because Toronto oh, FC yeah, are going yeah. to break the the points record. But Panovich is going to get some second or third place votes, I think, Jason. And do you think he's deserving of any of those? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, the, the Fire have forty five points on a roster, like I said, that is very thin. Um, and has young players. They don't really have a good goalkeeper anywhere on their, their roster. Um, so they've managed to do well without those things, which is a big deal. Um, though, again, I will say that if this team loses Nikolic in June, if, if he has, you know, a month off with a hamstring strain, they're probably sitting with like Montreal below the red line right now. Um, so yeah, he'll get those votes. I'm not necessarily convinced he should be a, on the top three. Um, but part of it too, is that outside you take out Vanny and Patrick Fiera and there aren't really any outstanding candidates. Um, right now. I mean, the West is sort of, everyone is sort of the same. Uh, I don't think you can say that uh, Portland, Portland's on top of the West right now. I don't think you can say that them or Seattle, um, with Caleb Porter and Brian Schmetzer, I don't think that they're going to get very many votes for coach of the year. Um, Peter Vermes isn't going to get many because they're unless they go on and win the West, people might go like, okay, I'll give the. There are a lot of people that just look at the standings and say, okay, the supporter shield winner gets coach of the year, and then second place I'll go to the Western Conference winner. Um, 
So yeah, there will be some scattered votes in there, but um, Panovich is probably going between the narrative of the fact of their turnaround story and the fact that there just aren't that many standout teams once you take out the top two in the East. Um, he's going to end up getting some uh, some votes just based on that. But yeah, the the turnaround thing is going to be huge because a lot at the end of the year, a lot of awards voting comes down to like, what do I remember from last year? Mm-hmm. Not much. And what do I, I remember will say from that- this year? Not all that much. And then you, you know, this is how we end up with the David Beckham comeback of the year award giving being given to David Beckham even uh, when he didn't come back from anything. Yeah, there was a lot of those comeback player of the year awards went to players who came back from not being very good. Right. Not not any actual like adversity that was imposed on them. Just they weren't very good for a year or two. And then they came back and they were good. And so let's call that a comeback. I don't know if LL Cool J would call that a comeback, but he, um, he would not. MLS does. Uh, I I do think that the turnaround aspect, especially the nature of this specific turnaround where the roster what the top of the roster anyway was remade in a particular way using novel strategies that ended up proving to be normal from that point forward but at the time were were very bold i think you got to give nelson rodriguez the gm of the year award or the the front office award whatever it is i know dave casper's won it in the past but um well, i think he's got to be at least on on some ballots for that because they they went out on a rope or went out on a limb and it, it worked well, they, in a big way. They also basically punted on 2016 to set themselves up to have the allocation money and assets to do this. Um, That's true. That's I, true. I think, he did. He I was able to yearly, set the game on easy mode. Yeah. I, I think giving a yearly award to GMs is kind of, it's, it's tricky because I mean, last year was, if you can give a, uh, basically if you can give an award for a GM in 2017, then if you look at his 2016, you have to say, like, well, how are you still in a job? Um, well, and, and if if he punted on 2016 and he ends up in fifth place in the East by the end of 2017, is that really that great of a job? Well, Especially with Batch and Schweinsteiger? I mean, Chicago did need to basically blow up and rebuild. Um, yeah, but, I mean, is that is that really a award-worthy uh happening to have done that and only get to fifth or so in the east maybe maybe not. considering how how deep the east got this year well, that, i, I can the long the long time that chicago was broken as a as a club um right the fact i think that they were so bad for so long and it seemed like they were almost beyond uh fixing beyond just saying everybody get out we'll start over with nothing um Though I still say I, I'm I'm more impressed with the job, the team building job at NYCFC than I am with Chicago because NYCFC didn't punt on last season. Yeah, yeah. I think this will be a more interesting conversation or an interesting conversation to have in more depth in the future, and maybe we'll do that right here on Filibuster. Let's turn our attention more immediately though to this weekend's game. How will Chicago come out? Uh, against DC United, and what will they be trying to do? Uh, I think they. I think that at home against a team that they're going to look at as vulnerable, I think they will try and get back to a little more of their uh, higher tempo attacking play. Um, I don't think they're quite going to be one hundred percent stomping on the gas pedal, so to speak, um, because of that long streak where they weren't winning any games. But um, 
you know, they're going to get out. They're going to try and get David Akam running into space in isolation against defenders. Um, the fluidity in the midfield that actually we've seen from DC as well. Now that they've made these changes, um, it's going to be matched with uh, Solonyak and Michael Delu. Um, those two don't really. It's not a situation where one is primarily the right winger and the other is primarily an attacking midfielder. They both sort of, uh, in this past game, this past weekend, I think Delu was mostly on the right, but it was still like 25% of the game he was running through the middle. Um, so there's a lot of freedom there between those two, whereas Akam mostly stays wide left. Um, but we'll see. I mean, uh, Chicago is perfectly willing to switch him to the right or even play him through the middle briefly. Um, if they think that that's where he can break through. Um, so that that's something to watch out for, is just that constant... I don't even know if it's actually their bench tinkering, or if they've just been told, like, you guys go figure it out on the field, figure out um, where you need to be to be at your best, and maybe the, where the team would be best off if you guys switch flanks for a few minutes. Um, you have the freedom to do that. Uh, they're still going to look for Nikolic in the box, um, which is how they got their goal this weekend. Um, or last weekend, um, uh, that's obviously where in the end they, they need to be creating those kind of chances where he can pounce because, um, they don't really create a lot of chances that are designed for other sorts of goal scoring. It's really a team that's built for a goal poacher, um, which he's great at. Um, he's done that job, uh, pretty spectacularly, but, um, if you force them, if, if you're keeping them outside the box, if, if, they're not really getting too many bouncing balls into the area. Um, they're gonna they're gonna have trouble carving out big chances. Um, they will look to push their fullbacks up uh, to add some width. Uh, Matt Polster is more of a he's not really getting wide and overlapping and hitting crosses. He's more of an option in in possession. Um, whereas Brandon Vincent, I think, is a little more willing to hit crosses. Um, I think maybe he's just been given the green light a little more. Um, yeah, it. I'm interested to see what their approach is because their last two games have been built more on their success in these last two games um, has been built much more on getting the defensive side right. And we also have to wonder: is this going to be the Chicago Fire with Bastian Schweinsteiger, or is it going to be him resting again? Um, because that makes a huge difference for them. It changes where McCarty plays. Um, they like to play Schweinsteiger as a regista, and then McCarty is a destroyer ahead of him. If Schweinsteiger is out again, if they rest him for one more week, then McCarty's deep, um, but not necessarily as a regista. Um, so it, it changes a few things about how they play. It changes the fluidity in their possession game. Um, so that's something that United's going to have to game plan for both, um, which certainly complicates things. Um, but, you know, if, if Schweinsteiger is out, I will say that uh, Juninho isn't really that well suited to have to play in front of McCarty. Um, so that might be a spot that, that's a deceptive weakness, even though you look at those names and you think, wow, those, that's going to be a great midfield. They don't really fit together as a pair, um, which is why Juninho hasn't played all that much, because when Schweinsteiger arrived, they quickly figured out that one of them had to go and the third man out was Juninho, so he just ended up sitting. Um, but I, I am I am fascinated to see whether they think this is the game they can get back to normal, so to speak or whether they think we need one more week of being a solid defensive team first so that we can prepare for the playoffs, you know, because I think Chicago is at a point where they can, they, they can't necessarily sit there and say, we're definitely going to get into the playoffs, but they're probably going to get in. 
Um, they're nine points clear of the Impact. Uh, the Impact have seven games to make up that nine points if they're going to jump Chicago. Um, so the Fire, I think, are starting to get into that point where they've got to start thinking about using games as a quasi-dry run for the playoffs, and DC is in the bottom of the East for a reason. So if there's a team that you're going to do that against, it's probably this week. Um, but at the same time, maybe they want to use this as a dry run to get themselves back to the style of play, the high octane, uh, not it's direct, but it's not balls in the air. It's, it's everything's on the ground. They just want to cut through quickly. Um, which is similar to what DC United wants to do. Um, they want to play transition soccer. They want to play a game where there are a lot of turnovers, where they're getting the ball moving quickly, um, and then winning the ball back quickly. Um, they are not a very patient team, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and whether this is the week they try and get... They, they've actually got... I'm looking at their schedule now, so they've got us and then at at Philly, at San Jose. Um, so they've got three games in a row here where they're not playing a very good team. Um, so they might be looking at this as their sort of warm-up to, to attack the playoffs with their run-in. They've got um, a game against NYCFC at the end of the month, which should be a pretty good one. Um but yeah, I'm I'm intrigued uh, to see how they come out because they they could go either way, um, and it also could hinge on whether they decide Schweinsteiger's back or if he needs one more week off, uh, which is I assume going to be something they keep as close to the vest as possible. So you kind of covered the the game plan and how well, that's what, what it will do. be addressing. <laughs> so I. I don't have any more questions. Ben, do you have any more opinions on uh, the fire, on lineup decisions, on music, or anything else to get off fire, your chest? Fire, fire, fire. You know, we made it almost through the entire episode without you doing that. Yeah, but we didn't. We did not. And, and now I'm sad, and that is how we're going to end the show, with me being sad, so... A very sad thank you to everyone listening. I appreciate it. I don't know if Ben does. He's kind of mean. Yeah. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Filibus- We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails. Um, right now I'm in the mood for um, moody kind of sad poetry because I'm sad. Send those to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Internet Archive, the podcatcher of your choice, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, whatever. Um, We're on, we we should be on all of them. So uh, find us wherever quality and less quality podcasts are purveyed. Mostly though, please tell a friend about the show and please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, if you feel like supporting us monetarily, we we appreciate both word of mouth and word of money. Um, that's it for us this week. We'll talk to you real soon. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Smokin'.